Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. So today is Super Bowl Sunday. It's a day where two bandwagons collide because no one actually likes the Patriots or the Eagles, but today everyone is a fan. Uh, By a round of applause, how many are rooting for the Patriots? You got a few? Okay, we've got, yeah, I know a few people who are. Um, How about the Eagles? Anybody rooting for the Eagles? Ah, that, that like, that like breaks my heart considering how many of us are Redskins fan. Um, how many of you are just interested in the food? Like that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And how many of you just, just don't care? Yeah, there it is. <laughs> there it is. So going into today's game, there's a ton of storylines and drama. There are rumors that Tom Brady and his coach Bill Belichick aren't getting along. Tom Brady a few weeks ago got a mysterious injury on his hand and had to get 12 stitches. Rob Gronkowski has a concussion, even though he kind of always functions as if he has a concussion. A bunch of Eagles players this week came down with a flu, and so that was like the thing over the last few days. It's like everybody's sick. But the storyline that's generating the the most headlines pertains to the Eagles and the fact that they are underdogs. The Eagles finished the year 13-3, which is really good. Again, if you're a Redskins fan, you don't know what that feels like. But a few weeks ago, their star quarterback got hurt. So going into the playoffs, even though they had this dominant season, even though they're one of the best teams in the league, they were labeled as underdogs. And no one thought they would even win one game. And so when they played Atlanta at home in their own stadium, they were underdogs. Then the next week, they played in Minnesota, and they were underdogs. And this week, they play the Patriots, and they're underdogs. But instead of letting this label discourage them, the Eagles have actually embraced it. After they beat Atlanta, players had these masks on on the sidelines and threw them on while walking to the locker room, right? They're embracing this role of underdogs. During media day, there are players wearing these masks that are in the locker rooms. There are even t-shirts that are being sold on the NFL shop. They've like changed. They're no longer the Eagles. They're the underdogs. This is something that they've embraced. It's kind of become motivation for them. It's almost a badge of honor. It's part of who they are in this season, In our own lives, we all have labels. Some of our labels pertain to our family life. Some pertain to our careers, some our character, or even our faith. I'm labeled as a husband. I'm a dad, a son. I'm a pastor. I'm a follower of Jesus. And there are labels that we're proud of, right? Some of you are sons and daughters, your teachers, your nurses, your grandparents, your contractors, both government and construction. Maybe you're labeled as being kind or strong or smart. But not all labels are ones that we're proud of. Maybe at some point in your life you've been labeled as an addict or a divorcee or lazy or judgmental or rude or a failure. Whether we like it or not, we constantly carry around labels. Sometimes they're simple and describe details about who we are. But a lot of times the labels that we have, we carry them from wounds from our past. They remind us of failures. They tell us that we're not good enough. And they paralyze us with fear and insecurities. Because the reality is labels are most often born out of hurtful things that other people have said to us or about us. Labels are born from past mistakes or from our own insecurities. And over time, these bad labels that we carry end up becoming part of our our identity. They begin to make an impact on our family, our relationships, our job. They impact the amount of effort that we put into things. They impact how we respond to the ups and downs of life. They even begin to impact whether or not we believe in ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, 
and how we feel other people think about us. Labels can define who we are. Labels can dictate how we act. And labels can devour our true selves. So today I want to talk about what it looks like to overcome the bad labels that we have in our lives. And I want for us to look at the labels that God wants to give us. And we're going to do this by looking at the story of David. Today we're starting a brand new series called David the Giant Slayer. And over the next few weeks, we're going to spend time learning about David through the book of 1 Samuel. And so David is one of the most well-known people in the Bible. He slayed Goliath. He becomes king of Israel. He wrote the majority of the book of Psalms. But the road wasn't easy for David. He had to overcome labels and fear and comparison and much more. So for the next four weeks, we're going to, go, we're going to work through what David had to overcome in order to be the greatest king that Israel ever had. And even though the story takes place in 1,000 B.C., a few thousand years ago, there's still a ton of things that we can learn from his story. So here's the background. Here's, here's the history of that time when David was living. The government of Israel was a theocracy. So they didn't have a president or a king. They were led by God through a prophet. And what would happen is God would actually speak to this prophet, whether that be audibly or through visions or dreams. And then the prophet would go to the people of Israel and say, hey, this is what God said. Thus said the Lord, do this, don't do this, follow this. And in the story of David, during that time, the prophet who is listening to God is a guy named Samuel. And Samuel's a good man. He's a priest and a judge. He's a devout follower of God. And he's the prophet that God spoke to during that time. But Samuel starts to get older, and his time as a prophet is slowly coming to an end. And so what he does is he appoints his sons to replace him, which doesn't turn out well. 1 Samuel 8, 3, this is what it says, But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. So Samuel's hope was that his sons would kind of carry on this torch, that they would act together as prophets to allow God continue to lead Israel, but they're unfit. And the people see this. Instead of listening to God, they listen to money. And so what ends up happening, the elders actually go to Samuel and say, listen, you're getting old. Your sons can't do this. We no longer want God to lead us. We want a king. Which is really funny because they actually say they want a king just like the other nations have. Which if you know the story of the Israelites, there's no reason why they should want a human person to be their king. And specifically when they're talking about other nations, they're referencing Egypt, which they've just been slaves in. So Israel is saying, listen, we don't want God to lead us anymore. We want a person. And Samuel knows this is a terrible idea. Samuel is someone who spends time with God, who's been acting on behalf of God through this nation, who's watched this nation be brought out of slavery. He's watched this nation be free all by the hand of God. But that's what they want. So he warns them. And this is what Samuel says. This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with, with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Samuel actually tells them that when a king reigns over you, he will own every part of your lives. He actually tells them that your sons will be put on the front lines of battle in order to protect this king. Samuel actually goes on. He says, These children, your children will lead his army. He will make your children farm his fields. He will make them cook and bake for him and the rest of his governors and his politicians. He'll take a tenth of your harvest. He'll take your cattle. And then you guys will become slaves. And then Samuel finishes by saying this. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen but the Lord will not answer you in that day. 
So Samuel's trying to make it as clear as possible that this is not a good idea. God had already delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. He had brought them to a promised land. He was a good leader who loved them and wanted what was best for them. The Israelites knew this, but they still wanted a king. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all, the people, all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. This moment you realize that God wants what's best for Israel. Like everything that God has done, whether that's setting up the laws or sending in leaders or creating prophets to oversee this nation, everything God has done was for the best of the Israelites. And what was best for them was to continue to let God lead them and continue to be a theocracy. But God gives them a choice. You see here that God says, like, this is what's best for you, but it's still up to you. What do you guys want? And they, they choose poorly. They want a king. And to be honest, we read this story, and it's easy to judge the Israelites, but isn't this exactly what we do in our own lives? God wants what's best for us. We know that. If you read story after story of people like David and you read the Bible, you realize that everything God has done is to create the best life possible for us. And Scripture teaches us that what is best is submitting to God and letting him lead in each aspect of our lives, whether that's our family or our relationships or our finances or our jobs. But the choice is ours. We get to decide whether God is the leader of our life or not. And more often than not, we want a king instead of God. And the reason why we want a king is so that we can appoint ourselves. Because instead of having God lead, we want to be the leaders of our own lives. God says, follow me and I'll show you have the best, how to have the best marriage possible. God says, follow me and I'll show you how to handle your finances in a way that will bring freedom. God says, follow me and I'll show you how to make the biggest impact possible, not in this lifetime, but for all eternity. God says, follow me and I'll show you how to deal with the pain and brokenness that this world brings. But the choice is ours. And time and time again, we're just like the Israelites where we turn our backs on God and we choose to be the Lord over our own lives instead of God. But in that moment, that's what the Israelites wanted. In that time in history, kings were the men who led people into battle. They were supposed to protect their nations. And that's what the Israelites wanted in a king. They wanted someone that was strong and capable of leading. And so Samuel anointed Saul. Saul was an impressive man without an equal amongst the Israelites. He was a head taller than everyone else. He was young, strong, and handsome. And as soon as the Israelites saw him, and as soon as they saw him stand up amongst the rest of the people, they realized, this is our king. This is who we want to follow. And so even though that was against what God wanted, even though most likely the Israelites knew deep down that this wasn't the best choice, they still anointed Saul as king. And just as you could expect, Saul was a bad king. He did exactly what Samuel warned the Israelites of. Because Sam, or Saul was not a man of God, and he was slowly leading Israel, Israel to ruin. And this is what happened, 1 Samuel 15. Then the word, word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. And Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. So just as Samuel had warned, Saul was unfit. And it got so bad that even God realized that allowing the Israelites to have a choice wasn't good. And so God intervenes and he makes a change. And this is when David gets introduced to the story. This is when we start to learn about David. Is when Samuel, or, yeah, Samuel is no longer the prophet. Saul is now king. And this is what introduces David. 
In 1 Samuel 16, this is what it says. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And so even in, in, in Samuel's mourning, God goes to him and says, listen, you have two choices. You can continue to mourn. You can continue to mourn that Saul is unfit. You knew this was going to happen. You warned the people. You can continue to mourn, or you can go find Jesse of Bethlehem because I've chosen a real king. Really cool side note with this is the Bethlehem idea. Like we know Bethlehem because that's where Jesus was from. That's where he was born. But the reality is at this moment in time, Bethlehem was like a no-name, small city that people weren't really going to. And so this idea that before Jesus ever came, they sent him to Bethlehem is foreshadowing that even though David is going to be the king of Israel, that a true king was coming. And so God says to him, go. And this is what Samuel says. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And this is really telling for Samuel's reaction. Samuel had power, right? Samuel was well known, but his fear shows just how much tension there was between God and Saul. The idea that Samuel was afraid was afraid because of the fact that Saul knew that if Samuel was going to a town, if Samuel was going to anoint a king, that Saul would do everything he could to stop it. Saul wanted to be king. He liked that power. And so clearly Saul and God's relationship was fractured because even Samuel was afraid to be around him. But God tells him to go and that he will show him the next king. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God doesn't look at people's appearance, but the condition of our hearts. And this is a direct shot at Saul. Like God is just digging in on that one. Because remember, Saul was chosen because of his outward appearance. They didn't know the condition of his heart. They didn't even know if he'd be a good leader. He was just tall and strong. But God says, I don't look at your outward appearance. I look at the condition of your heart. So even though Saul was tall and strong and stood above everybody else, the condition of his heart was dark because he cared more about himself than God. And he cared more about himself than the people he was supposed to be leading. So when talking about labels, one of the first things I want you to know today in regards to overcoming labels is that God doesn't label you or value you because of what you look like. So many of the labels that destroy us are based on outward appearance. What society thinks is cool or even good. But the Lord looks at the heart. It doesn't matter if you are strong or weak. It doesn't matter if you are white or black. It doesn't matter if you are male or female. God doesn't look at your outward appearance. He looks at the condition of your heart. And for some of you, this should bring freedom because you can control the condition of your heart. You can control what you do on the inside. You can control whether or not you love God and keep his commandments. You can control whether or not you love people as yourself. You can control control the condition of your own heart so you can control the labels that are written about you. But to be honest, for some of you, this might be terrifying. You'd prefer if people judge the book by its cover because the condition of your heart is black. You're hiding bitterness from a past friendship where someone broke your trust. You're hiding an addiction that no one knows you have. You're hiding jealousy toward your sister because she is younger but is already married and has kids, and you're left searching. 
If the labels you wore were based on the condition of your heart, would they be something that you were proud of? Would people see that you're someone that lives in grace and truth? Would people see the hidden sins that you bury below the surface so no one knows who you really are? People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The story continues. Then Jesse called in Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then said to Shema, or Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So after Samuel's met seven of Jesse's sons and God has said no to all of them, how do you think Jesse, or how do you think Samuel felt in that moment? He was in mourning, right? He was trying to hand this off to a real king. And God says, go to this town. I know you're afraid of being killed. Just trust me. And he goes and he sees seven of these people and all seven of them, God says, no, they're not right. I can just imagine Samuel in that moment starting to lose faith. He's starting to struggle to trust God. He's feeling defeated because God promised him a king and he couldn't find one. But don't you know that God often gives us the answer we aren't looking for. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest son, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. And Jesse says, there's another one, but he's just a kid. He's the youngest. He's just a shepherd. And you can tell that even Jesse doesn't think that David could be the future king. If he did, he would have been there with the rest of the family. Surely Jesse thought, of these seven, one of them is the king. David, you just continue to be a shepherd. You don't need to worry about this. David's the youngest. His brothers are older and stronger. And David was just a smelly, dirty shepherd. David's labels told him that he wasn't special enough to be king. He was labeled as the runt by his family. He was a shepherd which carried labels in society of being poor and insignificant and the lowest of the low. He was just a kid shepherd, not even good enough to be at the sacrifice, let alone be labeled as the future king. Think about your own life for a second. What are the labels that you carry? What are the labels that other people have handed to you? What are the labels that you put on yourself? What are the labels that you have allowed to define who you are? Because the struggle with labels that we carry is most of the time they aren't labels that we want to have. People in our life has labeled us. Society has labeled us. Life has labeled us. But even though we didn't wish these labels on ourselves, we start to act as if they dictate who we are, and it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Your labels tell you that you aren't qualified enough, so instead of pursuing the job that's a step up, you settle for the career you currently have. Your labels tell you that you can't keep a boyfriend or girlfriend, so instead of finding relationships that are centered on Jesus and his teaching, you hop on Tinder. Your labels tell you that you're a failure, so you don't try to break free from the addiction that you have. But you have a choice. You can settle for the labels that have been given to you, or you can overcome them. So I love tattoos, right? I, I, want, for, I want Collective to be the most tattooed church in Frederick. I think we're winning already, but that's one of my goals. Uh, but in fact, one of the reasons why I fell in love with Frederick was that walking around downtown that first summer I was here having tattoos, I saw a bunch of other people had tattoos, and I thought, I fit in here. And so I currently have seven, and each one has a very specific story. 
And so on my left arm, I actually have a master sergeant rank, uh, which is a tattoo I got five years ago in honor of my grandpa Tom. He served as a combat correspondent in the Marine Corps, and even though he passed away when I was in fifth grade, he's someone that I admire because of the type of person that he was. He was someone that had labels that most people would be proud of. Just being completely honest, labels have been something that I've struggled with for years. When I was in high school, I struggled with anger. Uh, I came off as being spiteful and unforgiving. I had issues with authority, and I would constantly fight with teachers or even when I was going to church to be my pastors. Um, I'm also an introvert, so I don't do well socially because I'm incredibly awkward. Uh, and I also don't have a super friendly face. So if you ever see me in public and I look angry, I'm not angry. That's just me. Uh, so, but because of these things, I was labeled as, uh, in high school as a jerk. I was labeled as aggressive. I was labeled as blunt. And this stung because that wasn't how I wanted to be labeled, especially once I started following Jesus. When I got into high school, I was doing everything I could to follow Jesus. I was doing everything I could to be somebody that was, a, that was after God's own heart. I was doing everything I could to be that person, but I still carried these labels with me. And through, through high school, I tried to create new labels. But no matter how hard I tried, the labels didn't change. And the reason why is because I grew up with these people. They'd known me since I was a kid. And so their opinions were set, even though I was doing everything I could to change who I was. And I hated that. It was always this inner turmoil that I had throughout high school, is that I wanted people to see me differently, but I felt like I did so much damage in the past that it was impossible. And this is one of the reasons why I left the D.C. area to go to college in the South. I wanted to start over. I wanted a fresh start to get new labels, ones that I would be proud of. And while I still struggled my freshman year of college college with anger, and I still struggled with being too confrontational, and I still struggled with being too aggressive. I was growing, and I was doing everything I could to change. In fact, most of the people I met in college saw a completely different side of me. They saw a person I hoped to be, and my label started to change, and I was very proud of myself. I remember coming home during one of my college breaks, and at this point, I was a few years in, I felt like I was a completely different person. And, and this was in a good way. I was very, like, proud of myself. I, I was taking steps forward. You know, my first reaction wasn't to, like, scream at people. Um, it was to have conversations, and that was good. <laughs> Baby steps, okay? But when I got home, I quickly learned that the labels that were written in high school were still the ones that people used to define me. I remember having a late-night conversation with one of my closest friends about actively trying to change, about how Jesus changed my life, and I wanted to be a different person. I wanted to love God, and I wanted to love people, and I wanted people to see that through everything that I did. I wanted people to see that through how I treated them and how I handled confrontation. But this friend of mine refused to believe that I wasn't the same person I was in high school. And I remember doing everything I could to try and convince him that I was changing, that I wasn't there yet, that I still had a long way to go, but that I was different. And I remember sitting in his house, I remember having this conversation, and I get through this whole thing, I'm like giving him examples, and I'm like essentially begging this friend of mine to believe that I am different. And he looks at me, and he says, dude, you're Michael Bartlett. This is just who you are. You're angry, you're blunt, you're confrontational. And this hurt. I remember going back and talking to my now wife, we were dating at the time, and I was wrecked by this. Because for years being down in school and for years having new relationships, I was doing everything I could to change the labels that I wrote for myself when I was in high school. And my hope was that one of my closest friends would believe in me. My hope is that one of my closest friends would agree. And even he didn't. And this wasn't who I wanted to be anymore. And so for years after that, I carried that label until about five years ago 
my sister actually reached out to my grandpa's best friend, his former intern, and one of his coworkers to sit down and learn more about who he was. And I wasn't able to be there, so she recorded it. And so I was able to watch these videos of these people telling stories about my grandfather, stories that I wasn't a part of, stories that I didn't hear until I was in my mid-20s. And I was blown away because every single thing they said was about how selfless he was. There were stories about how he was quick to give second chances, that he was a man who showed grace and patience, that he was tough and honest. He was a Marine, and, even though, and, and he was tough and honest, and even though uh, he was that way, he wasn't afraid to be full of grace and love people. And the last thing I remember them saying was that they felt like that, that time when he died and had his funeral, which was in January uh, when I was in fifth grade, they said it was the largest funeral they'd ever seen at Quantico because everyone felt like they lost their best friend that day. And these videos, watching this, made a huge impact on my life. I remember watching them over and over and over again and trying to figure out, like, okay, who am I? Who am I trying to be? I remember trying to work through it with my family and my wife, trying to say, like, this is what I want to be. I want to be that person. I want people to label me that way with how I treat other people and how I live my life. So when I watched these videos, I figured it's time to start over. And I knew that through God, I could re rewrite my labels that even though the things I struggled with were Michael Bartlett's traits, my grandpa Tom was proof that you can be full of grace and truth. And my efforts to be a better follower of Jesus and a better friend were worth it. And even though people labeled me differently, I could still overcome them. And that these labels I had didn't define who I was. And the labels didn't have to dictate how I act. And these labels didn't have to devour my true self. Let's continue the story about David. So Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So David was just a kid. David was just a shepherd. But with God, David would become the king of Israel. David's labels wouldn't define him. David's labels wouldn't stop him from doing great things. David's labels were rooted in his faith in God. Because when the foundation of your life is God, the labels that you carry are ones that exemplify him. And those are good labels to have. And even though to many people David was just a shepherd, even though to many people he was just a run, even though to many people he was just a kid, even though to many people uh, there are rumors that he was a redhead, so he was just a ginger, God saw so much more. And through God, new labels were written. Acts 13, 22, this is what it says about David. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. David was no longer just a shepherd, but a man after God's own heart. Hebrews 11 says this, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. 
over 3,000 years later, David is labeled as a man after God's own heart. He's labeled as a man whose faith conquered kingdoms. He's labeled as a man whose weakness was turned into strength. And that is only possible through his faith and trust in God. Because to his family, he was just the runt. And to his town, he was just a shepherd. But to God, he was so much more. Today, I said we had some cool stuff later. Today, we get to see what it looks like for people to overcome labels. Right after church today, we have three guys who are getting baptized. Baptism literally means to be immersed in water. It is the death of our old selves and the raising up of our new selves. They are putting their trust in Jesus. They're letting him lead the way. They're overcoming the labels from their past so that through God, they can be labeled brand new. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, the best way for you to start to overcome the labels in your life is to put your faith in him. Allow Jesus to be the one who writes your labels for you. Allow Jesus to be the leader of your life. Because you might feel like you're just a student, but Jesus calls you loved. You might feel like you're just a stay-at-home mom, but Jesus calls you his child. You might feel like you're just a divorcee, but Jesus says you're a masterpiece. You might feel like you're just an addict, but Jesus calls you forgiven. You might feel like you are too broken, too messed up, too jaded, but Jesus calls you brand new. You might feel like you're worthless, but Jesus calls you worth it all, including his own life. So if you're somebody that's ready to rewrite the labels from your past, check the box, uh, baptism box on your connection card because I'd love to chat with you about that and what that looks like. But you can't rewrite those labels. You can't do that without God being the one doing the writing. For those of you, you are a follower of Jesus. You've made that decision before. You've let God call you brand new. You've let God call you forgiven. That doesn't mean the labels go away. That's the sad part about it. It'd be so easy if I could say, hey, get baptized. You come out of the water and you get to start fresh, completely over. You get to show everybody you're completely different. But there are still people in your past that are going to label you things from when you're in high school or college. There are going to be people who label you because of the brokenness that you're experiencing. The way that you continue to overcome those labels is to continue to put God first. It's to make sure that the condition of your heart aligns with God. To make sure that you don't lose, fact or lose sight of the fact that you are forgiven. And that the grace that was given when Jesus died on a cross means that you are, your imperfect past isn't what defines you. And what defines you and what labels you is Jesus' love. Labels can define who we are. Labels can dictate how we act. Labels can devour our true selves. But we can overcome those labels and through God, and through God alone, rewrite new ones. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, um, that you used a kid shepherd to change the world. God, that you used David, somebody that, that society would look at and say that he was poor, and his brothers would say he's weak. His own father would say he's not king. And God, thank you that we get to see how much of an impact he had through you. God, I pray that we can be like David. We all carry labels that we don't want. We carry labels that have been given to us or we were born into them. God, I pray that this week, as we move forward, we don't let those labels dictate how we act. We don't let those labels devour who we are because ultimately, God, we know that through you, we can be called forgiven. We can be called new. And we can be called your child. God, help us trust you. Help us put you first. 
God, help us make decisions this week to not lord over our own lives, but let you be the God who protects us. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.